Welcome to another edition of Stitch Disc with Corey Bradford, a podcast from Lost Debate, all about TikTok and the most interesting creators on there. I'm, of course, Corey Bradford, also known as at This Is Corey, and a profession I have an enormous amount of respect for is teaching. I wouldn't be where I'm at today if it wasn't for certain teachers in my life who pushed me academically and opened my mind to new ideas. And today in America, this profession of teaching is coming under fire from all sides. And nowhere is that more evident than in the field of teaching black American history. State legislators all around this country are passing laws that will make it more difficult for teachers to discuss the full realities of what has been the black experience in America. But to all the young people out there who can't get in-depth black history lessons from school, luckily there is a TikTok for that. My guest today is a high school social studies educator and a black history advocate who uses TikTok to disseminate knowledge on black American history knowledge that is seldom, if ever, mentioned in the textbooks. We need to add context to what exactly Jackie Robinson did. He wasn't the first black player to play in the white major league system. He was the first black player to play in the white major league system in the 20th century. Moses Fleetwood Walker was actually the first black player to play in the white major league system when he did so with the Toledo Blue Stockings on May 1st, 1884. By 1889, the white major league system officially closed baseball off to black folks, period. He is the author of the Amazon bestseller, Black History Saved My Life, and was a cast member on the PBS documentary, Divided We Fall. I am very pleased to welcome to the show, Ernest Krim Third at Mr. Krim 3 on TikTok. Thank you, Mr. Krim, for speaking with me. So glad you could join us. Thanks for having me, Corey. It's a pleasure and honor to be here. So just real quick, I just want to start a little bit with your story, your background. How did you get into being an educator? Yeah, great question. So the first motivation, the first thing that inspired me to be an educator was my mom, actually. So she was an educator in Chicago, Chicago public wow. schools uh, for about 35 years or so. She taught uh, math middle school around my neighborhood and on the south side. Uh, she was an administrator for, I want to say, 10 to 15 years or so. So I saw that all the time. But coincidentally, I, I never actually wanted to be an educator. She actually tried to put in my head that I should be a lawyer, but I just kind of stumbled across it. So I think seeing that every day of my life and seeing her talk about it and meeting her students because they became a part of our family a lot of times, that was the first thing. But the thing that really pushed me in that direction, because she didn't force me to, when I was in college, I almost flunked out after my first semester. I was majoring in psychology and I decided to take some different courses because it wasn't really working out for me, I thought. And I just wasn't even driven enough to try to raise my grade in those courses. So I took a black history course and I just absolutely fell in love. It was like a match made in heaven. I felt like, you know, the <laughs> the doors of heaven opened up like this was my moment. This was my thing. And my thing was really just education by any means. So whether I was going to be a professor or like elementary, whatever, I, I, I felt like I needed to find a way to teach our people this history because it answered all the questions I had growing up about why things weren't equitable or the way I thought they should be. And what led you to because you're a high school history teacher, am I correct? Yeah. What, what led you to to dealing with that age group? I just thought of it like, you know, where could I make the biggest impact? And it was really that simple. You know, I thought like for one, I had a great teacher I was observing. She was actually a former member of the Black Panthers and she oh, was wow. from the west side of Chicago. Yeah. And she taught at uh, Colin Powell Middle School. Shout out to them in the south suburbs of Chicago. And I wanted to teach a lesson on like, you know, Angela Davis and the prison industrial complex and everything. And I remember asking her, like, you think this is OK for this age group? And she said, yeah. And, and, it, and it worked out fine. But I just thought to myself, like, 
I know there are more mature things I do want to talk about, and I don't want to have to walk over like red tape to teach it to kids who might not even be, you know, teenagers yet. So that was kind of the main thing for me. And I also thought about where my mind was in high school, you know, where my friends were. And I just thought that like high school was that last chance to really be able to impart knowledge in someone that could change their life, hopefully. But, you know, at this point in my life, I understand, too, the value of all age groups because that first, you know, first five years of my life is so vitally important as well. Absolutely. How long have you been teaching? This is my 12th year, man. You know, it, it feels wow. I feel like I'm going on 30 right now after the last two years. <laughs> but it's been 12 years, two in Chicago and two in the, uh, in, the, in the surrounding town called Joliet. That's really amazing, man. Like I said, I have I have a lot of respect for, for anyone who goes into teaching because it's such a hard job these days. And I know you've probably noticed in the last few years, it's gotten even harder with all the things we're hearing in this country. You know, everybody's so focused on trying to remove things from the school instead of empowering the teachers to be able to do their job better. Is that something that you've noticed? First off, in our district, we have a lot of um, independence with our curriculum. Now, they give us things that we should cover, but since we don't actually have textbooks, we use laptops and like other resources. We have a lot of freedom as long as we're promoting these uh, standards and skills that can help on like the SAT test and stuff like that. So I haven't felt the pressure on my end, but I do also know that because we have that freedom, uh, whether there's a district like mine or not, like every teacher doesn't think the same way. Like I got into education because I felt like history was something that could liberate our minds. But who's to say you don't have another educator who gets in because they want to maintain the status quo. So I haven't felt that. But I but I know educators in other districts. I've uh, spoken to kids, you know, as a keynote at other districts and or mentoring them. And, and we have conversations where they tell me that their teacher is, either isn't teaching correctly. Um, they're saying things are inappropriate in class or they're not even allowed to have like maybe a black student union or a black history course. And, you know, as, as someone who got into this because I wanted to have that freedom to really mold our minds. It, it's it's hurtful to really see it shift that way. But I think that, it, again, history shows us that public education primarily was not supposed to be used as a tool for liberation. Unfortunately, it was a tool, you know, that horse man in Massachusetts was using to really create some type of allegiance and uniformity. So I think that we exist in an interesting uh, juncture in history because we realize like, that's not going to help us out moving forward because the status quo got us to where we are now. And <laughs> it's not a good place. So I'm going to get into your, your TikTok because I really love the work you're doing on there. But first things first, I do want to just talk a little bit about your book, Black History Saved My Life. You had an incident that really sparked the writing of this book. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, so my life is, is uh, it really is compromised of like these situations where I was I felt like I had my back against the wall and I had to make a decision. I was teaching for about six years up until that point, but I wasn't doing anything in terms of like Instagram or like no vlog and everything on social media was private. I was just teaching in my class going home. But in 2016, my wife and I were at this event and we were just, you know, enjoying ourselves. It was an outdoor festival and party. We wanted to play a beanbag game and we took a bag that we thought somebody else wasn't using. There was a group of uh, four people, two black and two white. One of the white ladies in the group who was about two years younger than me found out she uh, just went completely berserk and started screaming at us because we picked up this beanbag that we thought they were done using. And wow. be because, you know, we didn't give her the bag back and we started kind of going back and forth like, no, you're not getting this bag back. You're being disrespectful. Her two, her two black friends come in to kind of like almost protect her a little bit. And then she starts cr screaming and calling us the N word. Oh, yeah. And, and, and she starts calling cops over and everything. So I took out my phone. I'm thinking, well, I'm not about to trust that situation when the cops come over. So at least I have proof of what's going on. 
And from there, the rest is history. Like she st- she kept screaming the N word. She eventually spat on us. And I oh, yeah, man. and and so she um didn't end up getting arrested that day. The officers come, they kick her out, and that's kind of like my story of posting things publicly because I posted it publicly to get justice, to get her information. And then from then, you know how the internet goes, like, you know, we got our information, but then Facebook kicks me off for some reason. So I started recording vlogs to get my voice out. Um, and I started writing my story really because it kept me sane because I had a, you know, a few breakdowns in between that going to work and dealing with this type of stuff. Um, but I wanted to tell people and show them that as black people in this country, we don't deal with racism for the first time when somebody calls us that word or like physically disrespects us or disparages us. It's like when you're born, like you, you could be born on the South side or the West side. You could be born, you know, North Philly or something in a red line community, or you might go to a school in an in affluent neighborhood and not see anybody else like you. So I wanted people to see these are the instances of racism that influenced me. And I say saved me because I always ask questions and then I sought out the answer. And then it's almost like a prequel to that event. So people can see what inspired me to fight and to do the things I'm doing today and not back down. Now, so that event kind of inspired you to start putting a lot out there into the, like vlogging and doing social media. When did you start your TikTok page? Oh, not until uh, late March of 2020, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I have been posting on, I started off Facebook. Then I, you know, started doing some stuff on Instagram as well. Just really, I would, I would post it for Facebook then I would just repost it on Instagram. And it was doing okay. Nothing big. Like I had maybe five, 6,000 on, on Facebook. But I started doing TikTok because I was seeing educators use it. And I thought that TikTok was only for dancing because I had students who were like, oh, Mr. Krim, look, my, my video went viral. And I'm thinking, like, what does that even mean on TikTok? Like, I, it just seems like it's a bunch of just chaos on TikTok. Yeah, just, yeah. just videos popping up everywhere. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure if you ever seen that uh, skit from way back, like when Dave Chappelle on the show, he was like walking through the actual, through the internet. actual internet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I like TikTok looked like to me. Like, in the world is this? So, like, I saw a couple. One of them was actually a lady named. I think she's the anti-social studies teacher, a good TikTok friend of mine. She has a, she helps kids out with like a push and a bunch of like AP stuff, right? Fourth of July didn't like immediately become a national holiday, right? It wasn't like in 1777, everyone paused during the Revolutionary War and started setting off fireworks. That would be really confusing. Um, it really started to become a holiday that people were celebrating after the War of 1812. We had proven that we could continue to exist as a country because we had kind of not lost to Britain again. And I saw her posting stuff on, on Instagram and I'm like, yo, this is some dope stuff. There was another guy who I saw posting some things and I said, you know what, let me just see if I can do something with it. And what I liked about it was I could record and edit as opposed to before I would record, upload and edit, go through all of this. And then my first video, I think it was like March 25th, 2020. It was about Ida B. Wells. Yo, Ida B. Wells was a G. For one, she devoted her life to exposing lynchings after her friends were murdered for having a very successful grocery store that was right next to a white man's grocery store. The second thing, she got kicked off a train because she refused to give up her seat to a white person. And she sued and won at least one of those cases. And they hit like 6,000 views. And I'm like, whoa, 
on a good day, I hit 6,000 on Instagram. Let me just keep posting it. And, you know, I just kept doing it. Uh, that's really cool, man. Your story is really similar to a lot of people that I talked to about TikTok. You know, we all have this kind of impression. I mean, I was the same way. Like, I thought, man, this is just for teens dancing and stuff. Like, I don't want to do with that. But then I started to get on there and I saw there was just this wide variety of information and entertainment. And it was coming from so many different angles. Uh, and then I stumbled upon your page and I learned so much about black history that, again, I, I never learned really in school and that I don't really see coming from a lot of other sources. So what inspires you to just keep it going and to just keep it moving and to just constantly stay so in tune with this subject? You know, I come from Chicago and, and, and studying the, the history of politics and people like Fred Hampton and people like that and just seeing like, you know, we're about the people first and foremost. So I'm in high school because that's where the people are. So like, it's not that I, like, I love the content on TikTok. It's just sometimes hard to find what you really want, but I'm there primarily because I know I'm seeing people like it. I didn't ever reach a plateau like that or a level like that until I got to TikTok. So it's just to educate people really. Like that's why I'm there. And th and that's where I'll, I'll be because I feel like when I see students in the hall and, you know, some students might recognize me from there, then it makes it worth it because I know that I can reach them in a way maybe their teacher doesn't, or maybe their teacher doesn't have time to. And that's kind of the impetus behind that. I just want to always meet people where they are. Now, you talk about one of your first videos about Ida B. Wells got like 6,000 views, but you got some some videos that's up there. Like I was looking, you got some yeah. million, some million <laughs> view videos. Like you got yeah. some ones that's really yeah. gone viral. Do you remember the first time you hit like a million views? And do you remember like what video that was and like how that felt? Yeah, you know, so the first history video I did that cracked a meal was about Aunt Polly. Aunt Polly saw a lot of stuff she ain't really liked. For example, after the passage of the Fugitive Slave Act, white folks were incentivized to catch any black person and sell them into slavery. And because she was on this border, she saw a lot of white folks acting like they were underground railroad conductors when they were actually slave catchers or overseers. So she dressed up like an older woman and went to town with clothing that was large enough to conceal her weapons. So whenever she saw a slave catcher in action, she pulled out that thing, that knife and that boiling water. And afterwards, when she freed us, she let us stay on her land. Yes, and, I just saw yeah. that one. That was a great yeah. one. That was a great Thanks, one. Man. I was just about to ask you about that one. Yeah, and this kind of goes back to the previous question you asked, too. The reason why I love doing this, man, is because people don't realize I'm learning a lot, too. Like, a lot of this stuff I post after I find out this information. Yeah. You know, like, there was this, this is a singer, uh, a rapper from, I believe he's from uh, Somalia named Kanan. And he has a song and I think he's borrowed the quote, but it's like any man that knows a thing knows he knows not a thing at all. And that's how I approach this stuff. Like there's an endless amount of our history, especially of us going back and being the first people here. Like there's so much to study. So like when I came across the Unpoly story, it was like, yo, she really what? Basically, for people who don't know, she was formerly enslaved. She escaped. She lived on the border of Ohio, free territory, slave territory, right across the river. And whenever she had a large chunk of land and whenever slave catchers were in the area trying to uh, return black folks to slavery, if she noticed it, you know, the legend says that she would have a knife and she would have a hot pot of boiling water. You know, now people in the comments are wondering, how does she have the, the water boiling? And that's not for us to know. Like, that's <laughs> that's why it's his story. Like, who knows? Like, but, you know, some of these pots, they can hold water oh, for the, a long time. Giant ones. Same yeah, temperature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the picture, like when people saw her mm -hmm. face. And you, you could tell she wasn't playing, yeah, yeah. you know, and a lot of people can recognize that because we, we miss out on so much in history, not having cameras that were, you know, they weren't ubiquitous to like the 1850s or 60s. Yeah. But to see her face, you see like, oh, yeah, she wasn't playing. She had that pain. So that one uh, went crazy viral. And even to this day, people still post it over like about a year yeah. later. Um, The other one, though, 
because I'm not sure which day came first, was, a, was an activist story. And there was a young lady who graduated from another school in my district. Her name was Jazz Evans. And she was abused by this white guy uh, when she was at a bar at her uh, college. She, was, she plays college basketball and she was at a school in Quincy, Illinois. Um, and she went to a bar, I believe she was one of very few black folks at the bar. And this guy, um, you know, for whatever reason, and she was a small lady too, just completely went berserk on her. This man approaching me and, you know, he didn't say anything to me. His first instinct, I guess, was to just shove me up against the wall. And that's what he did. And he held me there. And started like just beating her, you know? Um, and if you see this guy, he looks like a professional wrestler. And she's a small girl, you know, point guards in basketball are already small. Like we're talking about women's basketball. She may have been 5'1", five, 5'2". Five, and when I saw the pictures on my Facebook and I knew a lot of people who knew her, I just felt like as my platform was growing, I got to post this. That thing went like it went crazy viral to the point where it was over a meal. But we were also able to get so much awareness around this that to me, I feel like we were one of the main contributing factors um, on social media anyway to get, her, get him arrested. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't know if that trial's happened yet, but those are the two that that really struck. And you know how this, how this goes, man. You never know. Yeah. You never anticipate it. You just put stuff out there and it just happens sometimes. It's organic. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It it is very organic, and and one thing that I've noticed, and I've, I talk with this with every TikToker, it's like that video that you put all that time in and all that working in might get five thousand views, or you know, it might do a little well. But then that one that you just yep. kind of threw together last minute, that that's the one that hits yep. a million, and it's and like every yep. single person I talk to, it seems to have that same dynamic with it. Yeah, like people like this that much. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna talk a little bit more about some uh, some specific videos you did and kind of the conversations that they start. One video that I saw you did, and this was interesting because I had never knew this. It was about the founder of Red Lobster. Bill Darden opened his first restaurant in the midst of the Great Depression in 1938 at the age of 19 in Georgia. His first restaurant, the Green Frog, was opened in a state that enforced Jim Crow laws. But Bill refused to comply, and he allowed his black and white customers to sit where they wanted. So technically, as an outspoken public ally, he risked being lynched. I thought that was an interesting video because one thing that a lot of black history advocates like yourself do is we always teach this history to each other, but we forget that there are allies out there that want to know this too, and they want to know how, like, how they can help, and they want to know. And I feel like, too, a lot of times, a lot of white people, they get they feel so guilty about everything, and it's important to say, like, you know, there yeah. was some of you that was helping. You know, and it's important to highlight yeah. those stories. Uh, did you feel like that when you was posting that? Did you get like a reaction from some of your fans that was like, you oh, know, yeah. thank you for showing that there were people out there that was trying to help on the other side? Definitely. That was actually my intent. Now, I was specific mm -hmm. about that video. And I think and I say this to people all the time, like, you know, with history, with me teaching this, my, my main thing is almost like I'm a marketer. Like I want black kids to see themselves fight back against racism. But one day I had a thought and I said, that when I'm teaching this to black children, or I'm teaching it in a mixed school, which my school is mixed, black, white, and Hispanic, like one thing I have to re remember too, I know how it feels to not see myself as the hero, you know, yeah. growing up, right? <laughs> so as I'm showing this narrative that is really what history should be about, but I also have to keep in mind that for the white children, what would they think if they don't ever see themselves fighting alongside okay. me, you know? And I think, you know, for, for the people who are so anti-CRT or whatever they want to call it, there's a little child in them <laughs> that kind of wishes they were yeah. the hero too, but they just really never saw it. 
even to me, like uh, Viola Liuzzo, I believe she she left her home in Michigan, went down to Selma to drive around black folks and, and provide safety. And she was killed doing that. You know, like Pastor James Reeb, who was yeah. killed down there marching with Dr. King. Like I didn't learn about this in school, you know, so like I think that's important because we have to see examples of ourselves fighting and they have to see it, too. Now, I did this specifically because. Now, one video series that I'm always kind of like, this got to be, this got to do some good numbers is when I do my, my yeah. little field trip thing. Yeah. I'm on location. Those typically do really good. So I did one one day. Um, I, it was about Denny's. I know it sounds unbelievable, but check this out. In May of 1994, Denny's agreed to pay over $54 million to settle a racial discrimination lawsuit that was mainly based on allegations from California. They had received complaints from over 3,000 black folks in Cali and 1,300 nationwide. And I got a, a chapter about Denny's in my book because that was a part of my childhood not being able to go because of uh, my mom saying, well, we're not going to patronize a place where they don't serve black people. So I did a I was by one one day and I decided to record the video. Video went crazy viral. And in my mind, I said, man, I got so many other examples. But I said, I don't. I, 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 you probably deal with this too, man. Like when you cover history, a lot of this stuff yeah. is so negative. You're like, dang, yeah. am I negative? Yeah. Or is, or is, the, is, is our history <laughs> negative? So I said, I got to throw in a couple like positive ones. So I did Little Caesars. Rosa Parks had it rough after she stood up for us and she couldn't find a job. So she decided to move from Alabama to Detroit, Michigan with her brother. Then in 1994, she was robbed. Like, bruh. How do you rob Rosa Parks? That's when Little Caesar CEO Mike Illich stepped in to covertly pay her rent almost for the rest of her life. I love that story, how he helped out Rosa Parks toward the end of his life, the founder of Little Caesars. And then, um, again, I, the Red Lobster. Matter of fact, I learned about the Red Lobster guy because of a commenter on the Little Caesar story. And, and if you look up the, the Red Lobster guy, uh, Darden, who uh, founded Red Lobster, like, you don't find a lot of information about him doing this. And I think that's another travesty is like these, the allies, a lot of these stories aren't often recorded. He was in the Jim Crow South in Georgia in the 1930s, and he refused to abide by these Jim Crow laws. So I, I, I would show, like, tell people if he can do that then at a scary time, like, and keep in mind, white folks got lynched, too. Yeah. And that's a great way to approach it, because then you turn it. It's black history, but it's all American history. And you show how it's all related right. to everyone that lives here. One other video that you did that I thought was really interesting, because I think it's a video that illustrates what you do so well. It was a video you did about Edward Long. He was this enslaver in Jamaica who, you know, wrote this book about, you know, how ignorant people in Africa was, but had mm. never even been to Africa, mm. probably didn't even know any Africans. Yeah. The thing about it, though, was Edward Long actually never set foot in Africa, yet and still his book became a bestseller and people looked at it as if it was law and a scientific fact. And then you gave that example of the person that was integrating into that neighborhood and they were like saying, oh, we don't want black people living here. But it's like, have you ever been around a black person? And they're like, no. And I think exactly. one of the things that you do so well on your page is you combat that what you talked about that irrational racism the, the, we're, the a person being racist mm. to something that they don't even understand is that something kind of purposeful that you do to just sort of reveal the humanity to to so many of these people i appreciate that appreciate that perspective um it's you know it's not something that i consciously do i think that as creators one of the things i didn't realize is that we are we are artists you know it, it's almost like you know, Steven Spielberg or, or Spike Lee, you're creating this thematic piece in one minute, 30 seconds, maybe three minutes, maybe 10 yeah. minutes now. And, and you're finding a way to capture people. And I actually I'm yeah. a public speaker, too. And I was speaking publicly 
I've been doing that since 2017. I started sharing my story. So by the time I started doing videos, I was thinking of how can I bring in that piece of public speaking to videos? And I just know like people love stories. And as an educator, you know, a history teacher, we're telling stories and people don't really grasp it unless they have an emotional connection where they see themselves in it. So when you put people in that situation, it's like, oh, wow, that, that, that's different. So that's what I try to do. And I try to approach it with logic, clarity and, and really just being a vessel because I'm, I'm not making these stories up. I'm just finding a way to explain it to you. And of course, you know, too, like they always say, if, if you can't explain it to a, a child, then you don't really understand it. So I try to begin with that, too. I might start off with something complex, but let's really break down what this is. Like racism is really foolish. There's a, it's a system of bullying based on you having a different like because because your ancestors were further away from the sun. You created a system against me because I might we got more yeah. vitamin D. Yeah. And you do a great job and you do a real great job. at it. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the reactions you get on TikTok. I'm sure a lot of people come to you and say things like, you know, I never learned this before. I never knew this before. And I'm sure you get a lot of positive feedback. But like, I'm just curious, like, do you get any pushback to any of this? You always find one person that's just saying something to be disagreeable, but it, it hasn't really been like just belligerent anymore like i i had a like i did a video the other day just about like the history yeah. of the afro pick and I, somebody had a comment i thought it was funny he was like it's also called the natural <laughs> but it was like the way he said it is like okay okay man is that like <laughs> and what like you know <laughs> i yeah, know that yeah. you know so when i first started though and especially with the political stuff i was doing whenever i do an activist post that's when i tend to get more people like any any like current event because people are living in it they, they feel it more, but that's why I'm so big on if I'm going to do a present day post, I want to want you to also see the past because we, we tend to be less judgmental about it. What I probably get now more is people who can sometimes be self-righteous and think that you, you could have said it this way a little bit. And, and I, I think because I've dealt with so much overt racism the last six years or so, I can kind of tune out people who are just insanely racist for no reason. Like, okay, dude, I'm going to let a comment yeah, come and handle exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. Like sometimes when I get somebody crazy in the comments, my fans will just handle them for me. So I'm like, I'm, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I just go in and laugh. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't have to do anything about it. So I heard a video where you said that America, for the most part, doesn't quite know how to educate black children. Can you speak on that a little bit more, kind of like what you meant by that statement? Yeah. So what I mean is, for one, like there are distinct cultural differences that we have, even with being so far removed from Africa so many years that we still have. And especially considering the trauma that we have endured, there's a specific way that we have to be taught. For example, I was, um, you know, I told a story today. I posted about how my mom, when I was younger, she said I should apply to Harvard when I was in, a senior in high school. And I was just like, you're crazy. Like, I'm not about to no Harvard. What? <laughs> so like, and I didn't know the terminology for that was. I have been ingrained with imposter syndrome, even though my mom told me I could do it. I convinced myself I couldn't. Now I'm of the mindset that, man, Harvard really missed out by not having me apply. So different terminology like that, even though I went to a majority black high school, I would have never learned that. I never learned about terms like learned helplessness or I never learned that as a child, like, you know, black boys are being labeled, you know, ADHD or special ed more often. So like this happens when we are not even just in predominantly 
white spaces. But when we are educated in a, you know, even an education system that teaches us that it has to be this way. Like I went to a, a great college, University of Illinois, I believe, you know, great school. But like we're all learning from the same book, but we didn't have the same experiences. So you can't teach me how to like be reach my full potential fully, in my opinion, if the issues facing my community are different from yours. But what you can teach me is how to, in, in a lot of ways, mirror your success. And I think that we measure success oftentimes in schools, even in inner cities with uh, with, with children going away to college. Now, that might work in a, you know, upper middle class area or, or upper class area. But from where I'm from, if we leave and we get a great job, oftentimes we don't come back to help. And, I, and I'm not saying everybody has to do like solve these issues, but I'm just saying like we have to be educated on specifically what faced us then and what faced us now. Otherwise, we're going to either continue to perpetuate it or just leave and leave the problems there. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. That makes total sense. When I was growing up, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Alabama and I think I may have had maybe two male black teachers my entire 12 years in grade school. But especially where I'm from, you don't see a lot of black male teachers. Uh, what is the importance, especially for young black men, to have a black male teacher teach them these life lessons? I can't even begin to really say, man, because I see it just by looking at the kid's face. Like before I wanted to be a teacher, you know, big surprise, I wanted to play in the NBA. I'm, you know, especially being from the South Side in the 90s, Michael yeah. Jordan. Yeah. So when I see young black students come in and they look like me, they play on the team and we can like, we can talk about these things. I think it shows them like, you don't have to be super serious all the time. Like I, I have a job, I got a degree, whatever, but like I'm a person <laughs> looks like you. And by you seeing me every day for an hour, two hours, whatever, you then have downloaded information that says that you can do this and you can do it your way. I think that's the most important thing. One of the things I consciously did, because I, I rarely, I haven't had short hair in a long time. When I had my fro previously, like the last decade, I started like doing a little twist thing that J. Cole was doing, right, with the sponge. And when I saw J. Cole doing it too, I said, you know what, this is like, and I see kids doing it. I, I'm, I'm yep. going to keep my hair like this so that they can see this black dude who looks like them hair like them and you know every once in a while i will throw in a dashiki too you know casual fridays i got a hoodie on i got the jays on i want them to see this yeah. what you, you can do this too you don't have to like remove yourself or talk different i'll talk the same way in class you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. that's that's really important and, I, and i've i've seen it on kids face the conversations we've had about about race and the conversations that we've had about them being gaslighted and me just being able to say like, no, I I, I believe you. Like, I, I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. And I think I see that more than ever when I do my uh, my black student union mentoring groups, because we have these candid conversations. And again, them just having that downloaded saying that they can be this makes the difference. Just like me seeing a, a black vet for the first time. I put this on my TikTok as well. I didn't see a black vet until I was in my 30s and I saw it on Disney Plus wow. a few a few weeks back that put information mm. in my head saying, wow. I knew we could do it, but now I have proof and they look like me too. Yeah, that representation is is crucial. It's absolutely crucial. I want to talk a little bit about how TikTok treats uh, your content because everybody talks to me differently about this particular subject. Have you ever felt like you did a TikTok that may have been about an issue so touchy that you felt like it might have got shadow banned or it didn't get the type of reach that you thought it would? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, man. Oh, <laughs> oh man plenty of times man yeah. i didn't i can't recall the first time it happened but i remember just there was a period in time when my page was was growing 
where I would post a video and then I would click on it to try to share it. And it would just be like waiting video being processed. And I would have to like, you know, or I'll come back to it 30 minutes later and it's zero. So I would Google just to try to see what's going on. And I would see a lot of different people relating to it. And it, it really happened a lot last year. And I had probably a like three videos in a row one time when it was like community guidelines violation. I think the one that caught me off guard the most was when I did a video about the Deacons for Defense in Louisiana. The Deacons were established in July of 1964 in Jonesboro, Louisiana by Ernest Thomas and Frederick Douglass Kirkpatrick. They were established not just to protect their community from the KKK and other white supremacists, but to also protect a nonviolent organization called CORE. And they were a group of black men during the 60s who felt the best way to fight back was by arming themselves. And this was just a video of them talking about how they stood up against the Klan. Not that there was a shootout, yeah. just the fact that they stood up and the Klan went away because of their presence and they took the video down. Wow. <laughs> I was just like, what? <laughs> wow. So I posted on Instagram, nothing happened. So I'm like, OK, now this is wild because TikTok has way to me, way more traffic going on constantly. Yeah, so I had I had another video before, too, where I was talking about how lynchings were sometimes sent as postcards. I didn't even have a picture of the lynching because I realized at this point might not. I don't even want to really show that, but I might not be allowed to. It was just a postcard part that had the letter. They took it down. Like, OK, then I had another one where it was around Columbus Day. There was a video in another country. I believe it was it was one. It was an island. I can't recall off the top of my head, but it was a video of a guy tearing down a Columbus statue. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God. It's, <laughs> and I had like a little funny part like this is what my students want to do after they take my class. And we talk about Columbus. Right. I'm like, oh, this is so <laughs> funny. I'm going to post this. Yeah. And then. They took it down. They said I was promoting illegal activity. Um, <laughs> I was like, are you serious, what? man? Oh, man. So That's at that crazy. point, I said, okay, I'm going to just start like talking, like I'm talking to some middle, uh, first graders or something. But I yeah. did. They, they sent me a couple surveys before mm -hmm. and I went, I went all the way in on them <laughs> and I haven't really, <laughs> I don't know if they read it, but I, I haven't had censorship issues, but the shadow banning has like, after I posted that, um, the Red Lobster video, I kid you not, that was right before Black History Month. I said, oh, man, Black History Month, my page is going to go crazy. I already yeah. know. I did yeah. my 28 Gs. I was talking about people who fall back. For the first time, I was getting pressed for TikTok videos, and my views flatlined since then. <laughs> they, wow. have, they have, like, like from that month, none of my videos really went past about 10. I might have had one that did 100,000. Yeah. Um, the only videos that have done pretty well since then have been a couple of the Black History field trip ones. Yeah, um, I've seen a lot of You know of what I'm saying? So yeah. like, but I, but my, like, even my 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 follow count has pretty much flatlined since late January, and I've seen a lot of Black TikTok creators talking about that same thing. But I also do chalk that up to a little bit of just the TikTok algorithm being crazy. Maybe yeah. Just me, but I feel like they give you a bigger boost when you start, and then after a while, they kind of just like, all right, this is even this out or maybe flatline it because yeah. I was getting more views when I first started. It feels like. Oh, no, absolutely. I've gone through periods where for like just a couple of months, I would put stuff out and it was just like you said, 10K, maybe 15, 20K and just wouldn't go much further than that. And then I'll have months where I put some out and it's actually getting back up there to those 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 views. So it is a weird thing yeah. with the algorithm. I like to talk to creators about how to monetize our accounts because I know that's one thing a lot of people when they want to get into TikTok they want to be like how can I make money off of it now obviously I know you do speaking engagements right. you're an author you got a lot of side hustles and a lot of side gigs going on but how have you been able to specifically monetize the content you've done for TikTok yeah oh that's that's an amazing question man I think this is uh be a very important part for any TikTok creator so 
what I did, and this wasn't even really like conscious, like I was just posting and it was growing. And I just, and I remember one day thinking that I'm different over here. Like nobody probably even knows my story. Nobody knows what I dealt with. Nobody knows I'm a public speaker. And I said, nobody knows I have a book. <laughs> so I started having brands approach me probably like last summer. A lot of it was just like sponsorship stuff. Like it will seem some free stuff, whatever. But then I think it was the Denny's video and it was probably around September, October. That was my yeah. first time posting about, I think about my book and lucky for me, the video went viral and I, nice. <laughs> and it was like, and it, was, it was like a new release all over again. Cause I'm like, every time I post a video, I'm reaching a new person cause I'm an indie publisher. They don't yeah. know I have a book. Mm -hmm. So that worked out a lot for me and I made a lot of money off that book. Nice. Um, after that, I would have brands approach me. Maybe like I think it was uh, Abbott Elementary. I did something. For oh them yeah, at yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, I saw yeah. That. So it was yeah. like that. A couple other companies like that I just never even knew existed that was trying to get some traffic for like an educational program. I did something with HBO before. Nice. And the the advice I would give to anybody is like even because for me you just don't expect it because like I'm posting Black History. And it's not like a cookie cutter version. Yeah. So like when people would contact me, I would straight up ask them, like, you want me to do this? Like, you know, I don't like I'm not about to be talking about all this. other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what I would say to creators is that's what people want. Like, be authentic to who you are. One of the things I learned as a speaker is, um, especially in what I do outside of the class, like a lot of people want to be the motivational speaker but you cannot be the there's only really a couple you got like an eric thomas a tony robbins or yeah, something yeah. Or you got like an inky johnson but you have to really have something you're teaching in your speech and mine was all about this connection of using black history in a proactive way or to help us build confidence and, and view ourselves better so if, if i cannot post about that in my content i don't i have to connect in some way if i don't i won't even really post it and i think that's what has gotten me some some traction um i think there could be a lot more because comparatively speaking when you see public uh content creators talk about like the top earners on the platform even though we drive a lot of traffic we don't get probably the same looks yeah but so but i but i would just say you know the focus on your niche as much as you can and focus on driving people from tiktok to other things yep i created a course because i knew there were people on my page that wanted something and I also felt like at any day they could just cancel my page. So I want to make sure I'm getting people off here to something else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's a smart move. Cause I remember there was a period back in like 2020 where they were threatening to like ban TikTok in America. And I know everybody yeah. was scrambling, like let's yeah, go to Instagram, yeah. let's go to YouTube, let's figure something <laughs> out here. Yeah, I was definitely one of them people back then too. Um, so what's like one of the things that you would change about TikTok? If you, if they just like came to you tomorrow and said, you know, Ernest, like what, what can we change about this app to make it better for you? What's one of the things you would change? I think that's what I would change really like just the equity and like what happens with TikTok now is it's becoming like every other industry. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, black Twitter, we making Twitter all this money. Elon Musk can grab it up. We don't <laughs> see anything from it. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Like music, like, you know, big mama Thornton, she making all the music. Then Elvis Presley come snatch it up or Chuck Berry making the music. White rockers come snatch it up and we, and we don't see any of the profit. I think what I would change and I think they could really be revolutionary in this. And if they don't do it, hopefully somebody else does it. But like truly making sure that just the faces of the culture, really, it ain't just about black folks. It's about we are creating the culture there the, the like the dances, making sure they get equal exposure and looks from brands. If brands are approaching me outside of them, like there are people that will be interested in various other people 
Um, and I, I think that should be a challenge that they pick up. And also, too, like whatever they're doing with these uh, algorithm buttons, just stop it. Like, I don't know what they flipping switches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The AI is crazy on there, man. My, my page actually got taken down for like a, mm. a couple days. And I thought like, man, what did I do? Did I, did I get deleted? Yeah. And I found out it was just an AI glitch. Like they had like glitched off on one of my videos and I got, I got put back up, but it was, it was scary for a minute Weird. there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Man, this has been a great talk, man. I really appreciate you talking with me and sitting down with me. I always like to end this with two kind of a double question at the very end here what is the main thing that you want people to get from your tiktok page and a follow-up to that is what is the main thing you want to get out of doing tiktok the main thing i want people to get from my page is that there have always been people fighting back against these narratives and also like that the issues that we see today all stem from something in the past. That's the broader goal with history of anything. I just try to sh try to find that angle of blackness with it so we can see ourselves. And um, what I, what I want to get from it is, honestly, I just want to show people and continue to show them that you can play by your own rules. And in the sense that I have not changed who I am, my approach, I'm just transferring it from the classroom to TikTok. And I want people to get that whatever it is that you love, whether it be history, whether it be music, whether it be, um, you know, cooking, that you can you can do it your way. And that this is the age of the creator. We used to wish to be on TV. Now we are creating our own products and that what you really want to do, you can create. You just and I hate to be corny, but like you have to believe and I don't want to say just believe, but believe in the gift that you know you have that you somewhat kind of doubt. I was creating content for, you know, four and a half years before I found TikTok. And by the time I got to TikTok, it was already kind of perfected. So trial and error, believe in yourself and keep going for it. Ernest Krim, I thank you so much for sitting down with me and talking with me. Such great insight. Everybody listening, go follow him at Mr. Krim 3 on TikTok. You got any other handles you want to uh, give us? Twitter, Instagram, it's all at MRKrim3. Just, uh, yo, hit me up. Let, let's uh, join each other on this journey to learn and raise our consciousness. Thank you. Always a pleasure, Ernest. And again, just keep up the great work, man. You're doing an incredible service on TikTok, teaching everybody about this history that we desperately need to know. Thank you so much for joining me, man. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you for listening to Stitch Disc with Corey Bradford. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week.